Welcome back to the Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's guest is my new friend, Louisa Nicola. She is a Sydney-trained neuroscientist and neurophysiologist, and she is also the performance advisor at Neuroathletics. And this conversation gets into how we can enhance our cognitive function, our longevity, our athleticism, our strength, and uh, the overall regulation of our nervous system through tapping into our movement, particularly using hand-eye coordination exercises and uh, various different practices that I think are underutilized in most people's training practices and uh, just tapping into how we think and how we communicate and tying that into how we move, I think is invaluable. And that is what this conversation is about. I want to thank you guys for leaving us reviews on Apple podcasts. I want to thank you for subscribing to this. So you receive each week's episodes and also for sharing. If you are so inclined, let's get to it with Miguel Luisa Nicola. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the neuro experience podcast. This is a first ever thing that we are doing. I am aligning, mm. no pun intended, this podcast with the wonderful Aaron. Where are you from? Originally Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. So yeah. what's your podcast? The Align Podcast. <laughs> and we are aligning right now. This is a joint podcast, which I'm so excited about. So I'm currently in Austin, Texas. I'm loving it. I caught up with uh, a lot of people in the fitness industry here, Aaron being one of them, and took him through a neuroathletics workout. He has a wonderful podcast. And I just thought, you know what? We definitely need to bang something out together because what we do is very aligned. I, I, I keep saying the word aligned and there's no pun intended, honestly, but it is. I, I, you know, I was mentioning offline that I work with elite athletes and I work from the neck up. So everything brain health related. And you've got a wonderful book and I know that you speak about the brain and you speak about the visual system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The book is The Aligned Method. Um, and it's a product of working with clients for, before writing the book, had wor been working with clients for about 15 years. And the and what I would be doing with them would be a combination of training and manual therapy. And the tendency that I noticed, I'd be curious your perception on this as well, is we do a lot of great work uh, in the clinic or the office or wherever we were working. And then it would stick for a little while. And then I'd notice a degradation of the effects and they come back. And it's like, huh, we're kind of pretty much where we're at, maybe a little better, but yeah. like you were real good yeah. like nine days ago. Mm. And so what I became really interested in and still am is what is fitness and movement outside of when we're being intentional about it. Uh, and instead like our, our daily life existence, like every day, every moment throughout the day, your body doesn't know the difference between, oh, okay, Louise is in the gym. Oh, she's in the yoga studio. Oh, she's with a trainer. Uh, it's just, it's going through the same processes of, of deconstruction and reconstruction. You're always remodeling mm. neurologically, musculoskeletally, you know, all your whole system is continually in process. So I'm really interested in uncovering some of those, um, kind of like shadow parts, I guess, in a, in our, in our, our movement. And so that comes into like lifestyle. So the way that you work, for example, the way that you hang out around your house, uh, the way that you travel, the way that you use your breathing muscles, the way that you use your visual muscles, mm. the way that you communicate, mm. all of that. That's that's the lion's share of your actual movement practice. It's just culturally, I don't think we pay too much attention to it. 
I love what you said. Actually, that really uh, hit something for me when you said that your body doesn't know the difference between being in the gym or just being uh, in a regular job or whatever it is you're doing. Because I say that when it comes to things such as emotions with your brain or stress, your brain doesn't know the difference between being hit by a car or going through a terrible divorce, for example. So if one of them is a more emotionally taxing, your brain doesn't say, oh, it's because I'm going through a divorce or I've been hit by a car or it it just says stress or just says pain. That's all it knows. But I've never heard, and I've never heard anybody say that for the body. And that makes so much sense. And when you look evolutionarily, you know, we're always talking about what were we doing before the internet and before we had power. You know, our ancestors were going out, they were hunting, they were doing this. And so that's, um, that's you know, super interesting to hear that. Yeah, and I would, I mean, I've been through some emotional distress where I actively, I kind of had a moment of realization. One, as you already mentioned, they're processed in the same place in the brain. Uh, and, and there's probably a lot of more differentiation and variability that than just the exact same place. You know a lot more about them than I do. Um, but I personally and other people perhaps could resonate where I would take a broken anything over a broken heart because the broken heart, it's just, it's this everywhereness. Yeah. You don't know what to do and yeah. it's, oh, it's anxiety and it's depression. It's, oh God. Yeah. It's like, it's just, it's so saturating. Yeah. You'd rather break your leg. Oh, MG. <laughs> yeah. 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 You break a femur. You're like, you're like, yes. it's, it sucks. Yeah. You know, we are like, there it is. There's the situation. Now suddenly I'm getting all this more care. Mm. I'm getting more compassion from the world. Mm. You know, like loneliness is, is compared to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. You know, oh yeah. People, people, I read that statistic. People are, are, what is it? They're like 50% more likely to die prematurely. Uh, lonely people are than people that feel like they have meaningful relationships in their lives. Yeah. Um, you know, there's like endless statistics on that. And presently the world, I would say Western culture is going through a mental health epidemic. Mm. And a lot of that can be, um, treated with simple lifestyle choices to start. And then behind that also, I think why well, I, I know comes back to what's your, your emotional health mm. and the emotional health part. It's just, it's nebulous and it's weird. And it's scary and there are a lot of doors within most people or at least myself that we don't even realize we we've never opened and we don't even realize that we're terrified to open them oh yeah and we've developed all these brilliant compensatory strategies in our lives to kind of buffer ourselves away Mm -hmm. from those places and it moshe feldenkrais he's founded the, the feldenkrais method it's like a movement thing he calls chronic tension in the body parasitic tension so if you chronically have you know whatever your your mandible or your traps or your whatever you know, some muscles in your pelvic floor or any place in the body if they're chronically a bit tense throughout the day you're expending caloric energy to maintain that compensatory strategy Wow, so I'm actually losing weight then. I'm losing yeah, calories. That's one, if I'm- that's one perspective <laughs> to look at. But yeah. on that, because no, it's interesting because I've chronically, so um, a lot of people listening to the podcast who are part of the neuro experience commu- community know that I was an elite triathlete. I raced for Australia 
I got hit by a car. Mm. And let me tell you back to that femur thing. It, it's not pretty. I, um, I broke many bones. And yep. as part of that, and, and that was back in 2012. Yeah. So I had to forfeit the Beijing world title. However, from that, I'm chronically, you know, I, I, I broke a few ribs as well. It was all on my right side. So just where the QL is or just down on the T-spine on the right side, I'm chronically like it's always tight. I'm always sore. I'm going to my physical therapist like every two weeks. She's dry needling me. It feels incredible. I walk out, I feel on air for about a week and then starts to get tight, tight mm. again. And I was going to ask, does this method that you speak about, is there different areas that are related to different emotional traumas or like you know if it's your if you're sore and chronically tight in your leg does that mean something as opposed to being tight in your pelvic area i don't know i mean there's like there's 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 certain things that i feel very confident in speaking about where i'm like yes like this is a thing uh if a person is afraid it's very clear that there are physiological expressions manifestations of fear if a person is depressed very clear you know, you can, you can, we're, we're predominantly when we're communicating, we're predominantly communicating with body language. Mm. You know, so there's a, a psychologist from the sixties called Albert Morabian. Uh, he came up with a thing called the 55387 principle that you, you might've heard of, um, based off of your body language, you haven't heard of it, which is how we're communicating. Okay. Right. So the thing you just did with your eyes, it's like, Oh, I never heard of that. No. That's how yeah. we're communicating. Okay. Right. Whereas you could have, there's, there's, you know, several other gestures that you could have made with your eyes. It was just a little flick with your eyes. It was like, oh, she hasn't, she she hasn't heard of that. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh. Yeah. I'm not a good liar. I could never lie my way out of anything. Yeah. Due to things like that. So anyways, 55, 38, seven, he suggested through his research that 55% of our communication comes from body language. 38 is the tone of our voice. And then seven is the actual words that we're speaking. And where that is relevant is if, if there is, um, any disagreement between words, tone, body language, mm. I would say it's over 93% of the time, but the suggestion is 93% of the time we're going to trust the tone and the body language of the person. And so the way that the body, the way the person feels or emotes, it is expressed in the body. Where that comes back to kind of like some like the Louise Hay stuff and mm. some other people that have got into, into that world of saying like, oh, your kidney is this and your liver is anger yeah. and your left whatever is your mother issues. I don't personally have like a, an embodied scientific lens yeah. on that. Um, but I think it very clearly, if a person is chronically stuck in a state of bracing because maybe they were abused as a kid and maybe their father was an alcoholic mm. and maybe he when they he would come home at night the child was so deeply attuned to being able to hear the 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 weight of his footsteps on the ground or the way that he opened the door or the way that he grabbed his keys and it's like this it's like oh this deep contraction bracing like oh no he's been drinking mm. wow that imprints so deeply yeah and then we, from there, we either process those bracing patterns and compensatory strategies that we may have manifested from that, or we just keep on marching forward and we mm -hmm. just keep on kind of buffering around that like tender part. You know, and I think that if a person is able to actually start to look at the body as more than just muscle ups and push ups and sprinting faster, um, 
and start to look at kind of some of like the the I don't know, like the softer parts, I guess you could say, or like the intrinsic parts. Uh, I think it, it, I don't think, I, I know that it translates to performance, obviously mental performance, cognitive performance. You Like your head is in the game. If you're mm-hmm. thinking about an ex-girlfriend or something like that, your head's probably not going to be in the game. Correct. If you're thinking about the fact that you just lost, you know, 20 million bucks last night on for whatever reason, your head's probably not going to be in the game of life, whatever you're doing. You know, so being able to actually have practices and awareness of what's happening internally absolutely translates to externally and you can very clearly see fear sorrow um, gratitude happiness all of that express in the body with the way that we hold ourselves Mm. and typically the emotions that are the stickiest are the ones that hurt Mm. you know so if you were really afraid if you were really depressed you know something really terrible like some a trauma happened those are the things that go in and they stick because the body doesn't process it because it doesn't have the bandwidth to process it at that moment. And then that's what we call a trauma. Yeah. If you're able to, if you're, if, if something happens to you and you're like, Oh, that sucked. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's, this is okay. Like I can process this. That's not a trauma. It's when it's like, this is so overwhelming that I can't bear this now. So I'm going to clock out, but the body will hold it. And then you march through your life, maintaining those, intrinsic that reminds me of a book called the body keeps the score yeah Bessel van der Kalk yeah I reference him a lot yeah um that was really interesting because so I work with elite athletes and I'm working at the level of like some of the best NBA players major league baseball players and what I see in them is they are ready for war meaning you know I get asked often Louisa well these people what do they have that other people don't have. And I really want everyone to understand that just because they're at that level, it doesn't mean that they got there just through their cardiovascular system or their skill set. Yes, of course, that you need to have the tactics of an NBA player. You need to have the skill set. But there's a lot more than that. There is so much more that goes into high performance that gets them to that level. And I think one of them that is completely misunderstood and underrated is understanding yourself and in order to understand yourself you have to go through whether it's therapy whether it's journaling every day you have to go through that to be able to perform at your peak so what does that look like well for at neuroathletics we do something called a bullshit journal (laughs) meaning that if you've got a racing mind at night if something's happened to you during the day you have full range to put it in your journal it's a black journal and it's only used for negativity. And that sounds kind of wild, right? But it's very therapeutic because you get 10 minutes to vent every single day. In that journal, you put down anything. My wife did this today, it really upset me. My coach did this today, it really got me mad. And you get it all out so you're able to sleep better. But what I find is that those who work on themselves and those who are going through a lot of the stuff that you, you know, you've you spoken about and that you've gone through are the ones who are able to be focused and be resilient and be in flow when when they need to be Mm. compared to suppressing through all the different mechanisms that we have to suppress and i know that you wanted to we talked about talking about alcohol which that's that's like a very uh that's another sticky one um what do you what do you think about suppressing or or maybe not suppress maybe that's too strong a language just using alcohol in general are there different ways to use alcohol more or less effectively? 
Uh, is there times of the day that's better yeah. or worse to drink alcohol? So alcohol, I, um, I've put something out on Twitter recently um, and on Instagram. And I'm, uh, I said that no amount of alcohol is good for the brain. Now, it got a lot of backlash. And I'll tell you why. I think a lot of people um, self-medicate with a lot of alcohol, a lot of alcohol, not just one drink. I'm talking they're moderate to chronic drinkers. And then they saw that as a, I've taken that away from them, mm. you know, and everyone was trying to counteract what I was saying. No, that's not true. And they were saying, but what about the people who are living to 120 in Sardinia and in Greece? And what I, I do come from a, a science perspective. You know, I don't just say it because I've observed it. I've say, I say it because when you look at the studies and you see randomized control trials that have been done to show that moderate amounts of alcohol, which is classified as for women, seven drinks a week. Now this could be one drink a day, or it could be seven drinks in one night, whatever is, that is. Is there one that would be worse or better? In terms of types of alcohol? Yeah. One blowout. No. I got, I got, you know, <laughs> wasted every Saturday compared to, I drink a glass of wine each night. My, my feeling is, I don't know, I guess is my feeling. <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't look, it, it, it didn't go into that. It just came up with moderate amounts of alcohol. And mm. somebody has asked me on a podcast, does it matter if you're doing seven drinks of wine? I got to tell you that that's just an escape because people keep bringing up resveratrol in red wine and we need to stop that. Mm. That's just silliness. And I won't go into that now, but seven drinks and then 14 drinks for men. Now you think to yourself, that is classified as moderate. That's okay. So many women that I know that I see are drinking around seven drinks a week. Okay. So it has now been shown that seven drinks a week classified as moderate drinking is slowing the brain down and it's also increasing atrophy of the brain. Mm. You are literally killing brain cells with this amount of alcohol. When I put that out there as a statement, people didn't like it. Now, I will say, if you have one drink, just like I say, if you have one donut, you're not going to get obese off one donut and one drink probably won't affect you. However, it is the constant drinking. It's, it's the same as finance. It's, it's called compound, compound interest. If you, you know, if you put $10 away every week, it's going to compound eventually. It's just the same as if you put three drinks away each week into your system, it will compound over and over and over again. So alcohol is, um, unfortunately, I don't think it's good. I, 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 see, I see it in the studies. I see it in the science. Uh, if we're looking at total brain health, brain volume, brain functionality, it doesn't serve a purpose in any way. So I think that anybody who is trying to perform at their peak should be steering clear what of is, alcohol. What do you, what, from your experience, this could be subjective. I don't know if there's any data on this, but what does loneliness do to the brain? You know, I haven't looked at that. However, I, I will say that I interviewed uh, Matt Cable and he's a, a wonderful uh, professor and he's looking at longevity. He's really in that, um, you know, lifespan and health span space. And he came on the podcast and, as we were closing out, it was like a two-hour podcast. As we were closing out, he said that something that is not spoken about, something that people aren't even researching too much about is loneliness and happiness. And he said that that is a huge proponent 
of longevity. Yeah, the longest. So says the Harvard Happiness Study. It's the longest longitudinal study that's yeah. it's still running. It was. It started. I think it was 1936 that it started. Yeah. And they took <clears throat> they took a, a, a pretty uh, wide, a pretty large group of people. I don't remember the exact number of it. Uh, followed them for the duration of their lives and also their offspring or their kids, and found through that that the longest lever for longevity and overall health and well-being was the level of depth and meaning in people's relationships. Just they had meaningful relationships. You know, and that's is it. that romantic or is that just friendships, business? I don't remember if it specified romantic. I think it was just like you have tight knit community. I mean, look, because why? Because is is it a serotonin? Is it a neurochemical thing that we're speaking about? Um, is it a I am less stressed? Is it a cortisol thing? Is it an anxiety thing? Because anxiety can you know untreated anxiety can end up forming into depression. It's I'd love to understand more about that. Um, I don't know, but I think that that's interesting. Can I ask you a personal question? Depends on how personal we're going to be. How do you, when when you experience emotions or feelings of like duress in your life, how, what, like how do you tend yeah. to those sensations? Uh, I It's funny. I said this to Zach on the, I had a podcast yesterday here in Austin as well. And we were talking about self-medicating with alcohol because mm. I always try and find the root of, you know, why are you drinking? Does it taste good? And what, you know, what you find in the literature is a lot of people self-medicate for stress and that's never been me. Um, I've never been a drinker, a, a smoker. Thankfully, I've ne it's never appealed to me. Um, I would emotionally eat. Mm. Um, like I could, I could eat an entire block of chocolate. <laughs> I could eat a, a big block of Cadbury <laughs> chocolate. Um, I don't, but and I don't feel the need to. But if I'm really emotionally stressed, I think that I would turn, I would turn to that. Yeah. What's up, guys? I want to share one of my favorite tools in my fridge for clean energy and cognitive clarity. That is Ketone Eye. If you've ever tried fasting, you may have experienced that sensation of almost euphoric clarity that you get around like day two or day three. It's like you tap into some second well of energy that feels much more clear than caffeine, and that is your body starting to produce endogenous ketones. There is a way that we can quote unquote hack that by drinking exogenous ketones, and I've tried a bunch of different brands. Uh, they taste typically like some form of gasoline mixed with something else terrible, and Ketone IQ, I actually like the taste of it, which is great. Uh, I think it is definitely worthwhile for any person that runs, any person that may is doing some type of weight loss type scenario. It also reduces appetite. The stuff feels borderline like magic. I'm not embellishing. I think once you try it, you'll be pretty impressed. Uh, they also have money back guarantee and you can try it for yourself by going over to hvmn.com slash align. You will get 20% off. So you use the promo code align for 20% off. The URL is hvmn.com slash align, A-L-I-G-N. Check it out. I think you guys are going to think it is pretty impressive and I look forward to hearing about it. What is the feelings? Is there a consistency of, of feelings or sensations that you historically have suppressed with eating? And feel free to be like, pass. 
No, no, we don't have to pass. No, yeah. I <laughs> look uh, nothing really traumatic other than my my car accident. I do remember though in 2019, you know, living in New York and being far away from my family. I'm very close to my family, so it does give me a bit of. You know, it doesn't make me feel good being this far away from them. Now, in on New Year's Eve, I was ready to go out and I felt something. Something was going on and my parents weren't answering the phone, and which is very odd. I'm like, what is going on? And my mum was trying to hold off not answering the phone until it hit midnight and and I got really upset and I said, you know, what's going on? And she mentioned that my dad had a stroke and he was in the hospital and that feeling of being so far away and not going through that, uh, you know, was really horrifying. You know, it was traumatic for me. And, it, you know, I was curled up in a ball in my room for about a week. It was um, – and I couldn't go back home. So it was a really hard thing for me yeah. to experience at that time. Yeah. I um, – yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just so – because I, I, I believe particularly men, because I identify as a guy uh, – are experiencing more loneliness than what is spoken about and particularly in relation to to um you know many people live alone which that's not that normal in most parts of the world whereas western culture that's kind mm -hmm. of the standard you leave your parents house by 18 if you're not like what are you doing what's going on um and i feel like many people probably feel as though the rest of the world has this like illustrious lifestyle and community and they're going to events and they're just like this like full fulfillment type mm. experience and then it's just them that's kind of like huh like that's it's i'm not really why uh, did you say that men are feeling lonely i think men typically it's not as socially acceptable to express emotion whereas with women it's more socially acceptable to like get together and you know, get a bottle of wine or Talk a bottle of non-alcoholic wine in your yeah. case, you know, and get oh, some whatever. I'll have a wine uh, once every, you know, I actually average one glass of wine, I think, every three weeks. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So women do that. And I think women lean on each other in a really beautiful mm -hmm. way. Like I, I recently uh, was noticing some like emotional duress for myself and feeling of vulnerably reaching out to another male friend and saying like hey bro i need you like i like i, I could like use a person mm. could we like go work out is that something? correlated to the rates of depression in in young men i think i saw a it's statistic so there was a yeah it was a statistic that came out just after uh twitch mm. ellen's um oh yeah sure host or dj yeah. um after he committed suicide and then it came out saying that men um depression rates and suicides are don't quote me on this uh but i think it was um far more suicides in males than middle-aged men yeah, yeah. middle-aged white men i believe which you'd think that that would be like yeah well they're like the king they're yeah, the problem that could, yeah that know? could be so controversial <laughs> right like why is it and that's really sad and it, it's it draws but you don't know where it's coming from. Is it due to substance abuse? Is it due to loneliness and not having an outlet to express their feelings? I think it's mostly the 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 outlet part, um, and I think it's it's the willingness to be vulnerable. Um, I, I just recently did a podcast with Gabor Mate. Familiar with him? He's yes. A, yeah, he's great. We've done we've done several. Oh, wait, that's the book. He's the um. What's his book? His most recent one is Myth of Normal. He's Myth also of, done. I the just Realm of bought Ghosts. it 
five oh, days good. ago. I can't believe good. you said that. You know why oh, I bought shit. it? He um he had a, a video that went viral and somebody sent it to me. Um and the video was no kids have the same parents. Mm. Meaning that, you know, I've got two older brothers um, and they're both, you know, the, the oldest one is 10 years older than me and then eight years older than me. And I always said to my parents, it's like we know our parents in a different way. Yeah. You know, and no one, they never agreed with me. I'm like, no, you guys were raised differently. We were raised in the exact same house by the exact same parents, but we were raised very differently. Yeah. And when he saw, when he put that out there, that, resonated with me mm. yeah i mean this the suggestion is much of your adult patterns manifest as a product of your life from zero to five during those mm. developmental years and um i'm sure that could be argued in various different directions um but something that i think that also can be kind of uh, less easy to see is the idea of like oh like my parents were great they never hit me they provided food they went to my soccer games but something that I've experienced with my, myself going through therapy, I'm going, been going through um, this like somatically based therapy, somatic experiencing type therapy for the last few months. And something that was uncovered for me was that my parents could only love me to the degree that they had access to loving themselves. And so my father grew up in with a, a, an extremely abusive mother. She eventually became, you know, better, I guess, and just, you know, stopped that. But every Wednesday, I think it was, uh, it was once a week, she would get drunk and like take out her aggression on him. And it was like a, a standard thing, like mark the calendar. Um, and her, her, his dad would leave. And when he was gone at that date, she would be like, cool, like now I got you. And so he has never trusted emotional intimacy with a woman. And mm. he's now 65 years old and like still processing this stuff. And... My mom, she had her own set of, of, of things growing up. And uh, so she learned that you need to be perfect. You know, so she has like this perfectionist thing and kind of like a people pleaser type thing. And so within that, it's like me as a child, I wouldn't have had too much to complain about per se. Mm -hmm. I was never overtly abused. But as a child, to be able to feel that open-hearted connection with their parents and just feel that, like, Cool. everyone can have a full exhalation yeah like everyone feels at peace yeah you know like wow like they're they're with me no matter what yeah you know whereas for me my dad was um i don't know if he's an alcoholic but he had issues with drinking and a lot of suppression mm. never hit me but wasn't able to be with his feelings mm. and so he would numb his feelings and now here's me this new little sponge in the world being held by my father that's numbing himself because he's not able to bear what he feels and me as a child i'm i'm receiving everything mm. you know and then moving into the world it's like aha here's here's me with my own issues of fear of commitment and my own issues of of intimacy because i don't want to be hurt i don't want to be left and i don't trust relationship i don't think they're gonna last yeah and it's, so it's it, i think that that a lot of this is so much more covert and insidious than we realize yeah and um I think just being just just having vulnerable conversations is is just it's so invaluable, and I think for men generally, it's just it's just less common. Yeah, I have um, you know, I have somebody back in Australia who she wrote a book and it's about self mastery, and she mentioned something. You know, we were together and it was around Christmas time, and she was talk. You know, we were talking amongst us, and 
we heard that one of our friends um, is going through a divorce. And I said, oh, why are they, you know, why are they going through a divorce? And somebody said, because he's was having an affair. You know, the husband was having an affair. And I went, oh my gosh, that's horrible. And she said, she goes, why are you acting as if that's such like crazy news? She said, that's just average now. Most most people are somewhat uh, having uh, an affair. You know, yeah. I don't like to say that. Um, it's like, but uh, and it's almost like, a, it's almost like a coin flip. Statistically, why, okay, and so why is it becoming more? I wouldn't even say acceptable. Why is it becoming more less shocking? I know the divorce rate is getting higher, so why is it becoming more frequent that uh, men or women are ha- choosing to have affairs? Probably unmet needs and and not feeling safe to actually communicate their needs. I would say probably be a starting point. It's definitely way out of my realm of, of expertise mm. and I'm way better at talking about like squats and mm. spinal health. Yeah. We've, we've um, really gone down yeah. the emotional health. Something I never speak of. This is a science based podcast. I'm here. I am spitting like uh, emotions. Yeah, that, um, yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is, is not feeling um, probably seen and heard yeah. by our partners, but then a part of that as well is you can only feel seen and heard mm. to the degree that you can see and hear yourself. That's why I asked you that question. Yeah. And exactly. so I think, I think, and, and then where, where it gets sticky again is when instead of actually reflecting back of like, what's my role in this relationship? You know, I, I obviously attracted you for some reason, you know, you could even maybe say like, I've created certain relationships in my life or whatever language you want to use. There's something about that person. Maybe you intentionally attracted an unavailable person because you don't want someone to actually press the buttons to go into those deeper layers within yourself mm-hmm. because you're uh, terrified. Yeah. And so cool. All right. I'm going to find someone that's maybe a little abusive or maybe a little disconnected or maybe a little distant, Yeah. you know, and that's, I'm going to find someone that's probably going to leave me Yeah. because that's, ah, oh, that's home. Yeah. Wow. That's super scary. And so the guys uh, listening and, and we'll wrap this, this portion up, but I think what I was trying to get at is I see a lot of people saying, I want to be ultra successful. I want to be at the top of my game, but they're neglecting to really work on the core pillars, which is literally at the bottom of the pyramid. Oh yeah. And one of them, apart from sleep, exercise, nutrition, which is the three pillars we work on in your athletics. Apart from that, it is emotional health. It's why is demons. It, why, is a, why is a person getting jacked and getting money and getting success? Mm. It's typically to enhance their relationships. If you pull the relationships out of the equation, like what do you really have? You're just going to be repetitively shooting hoops all day just mm. for the sake of Mm. Y- yourself yeah like it's not for you no you don't love basketball or money that much yeah it's about the relationships that will manifest as a product of investing all of yourself and all of this work into this mm. but if you're just investing in the thing that hypothetically creates re- the relationship without actually investing in the relationship itself and not investing in a relationship with yourself mm. then you just have a bunch of skills mm. and probably a deep feeling of of disfulfillment if that's a word is disfulfillment a word? Unfulfillment. Unfulfillment. So yeah, then the to wrap this up, what would be the uh, the the action items? I mean, I think um, I think therapy is so valuable. It's, but finding the right therapist it's is not so easy. so not easy. I think find a person that's really into therapy and really <laughs> into these things and talk to them yeah. and say, who's a good therapist? 
And I think particularly um, finding someone that works more somatically based. So there are examples would be like uh, the Hakomi method would be something someone could look up or somatic experiencing would be something. Uh, and what happens within that is you're actually, the therapist is guiding you into feeling deep, more deeply into your body. This is like Bessel van der Kolk stuff. Uh, or Peter Levine is another example of that. He mm-hmm. wrote the book Awakening the Tiger. He's He, mm. he created somatic experiencing. Um, and so if you find someone that's able to guide you into those parts of yourself from a, a somatic lens, or like an embodied way, the body has so much to share. Mm. It has so much information. It's it's like so much more vast than a person would think. And this could, we could jump back into the, the, the brain realm um, because many people are living up in their heads and they have these illustrious stories of who they are. And maybe you could talk to a therapist and get all these stories of, Oh, this is my mom did this and they did mm. that. But you still have this 30, 40, 50 year old contraction and bracing pattern held in your, in your body. And, mm. and so if you can find someone that's able to support with that, I think that that's invaluable. Um, maybe doing like an extended sit of some sort, doing some type of like meditation practice. You could do like a, like small ones, mm. um, but bigger blocks are really impactful. There's like Vipassana meditation. It's a 10 day experience. There's things called, this is going way out at the end. It might be, might turn off some people listening, but like a darkness retreat is a thing that I just recently oh, did. Yes. That sounds completely ridiculous. But what it does is you're, you're sitting alone with yourself in a dark room for anywhere from like three to, you know, 10 days. Uh, mine was four days and five nights. And someone brings you food each day in a little like dark box thing. So light doesn't come in. Um, you get your whole food for the whole day and then you just sit with yourself the whole time. There's nothing to do. No distractions. It sounds insane. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds, um, it sounds something that's going to send me into therapy. But so what happens, what happens with that? And we really can wrap, wrap this up, but what happens with that is it, it's just, it strips away all the compensatory distractive patterns that you could have had. You can't drink the alcohol. You can't, scroll through Instagram. You can't do any of the things. So many of us, we have a feeling build up. Oh, it's a little uncomfortable. And then we uh, reach for the cell phone. Okay. I'll check my email. Oh, I'll just like kind of space out on YouTube. Oh, I'll just watch whatever I watch, you know, Oh, I'm going to drink some alcohol. I already said that. And then what we're doing with that is I think we're just delaying the body's deeper messages where it's saying like, Hey bro, we have some stuff to work on. It's, might be really old. It might not be that old. There's some stuff here and it's learning and respecting the language of the body, which it expresses itself, not with words, but with feelings. Oh, I feel anxious. Oh, why? Mm -hmm. Oh, I feel kind of depressed. I feel, you know, all of that. So I think listening into that, um, not shaming oneself about feeling those sensations. That's another issue. And just like finding a path towards really loving it all, accepting it all, speaking it all, speak all the hard, all the hard stuff. Sorry, maybe you got to blurt, blurt that. I don't know if you swear on here. No swearing. We don't swear in here. We don't really swear. That yeah, much. we'll cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but something like that as well. Having the, the the journal that you mentioned, where you're actually writing the things out, like it needs to come out. Yeah, yeah. We can switch that. gears. No, I, I think that that's really important. It's not talked about a lot. No, it's definitely not. And especially in the realm of of, of science, because science is a lot of analytics. Mm. And it's it's measurable, and it's repeatable. Mm. You know, but a person's pain mm. to the point where maybe self-harm or, or, you know, suppression of, of the feelings, or whatever it is, how do we measure that? 
Well, there's something now called PNE, Pain Neuroscience Education, mm. where it's somebody's ability to be able to p- describe pain to somebody because nothing, you know, people are chronically in pain and no amount of painkillers is helping them. And right. so there is this whole new field um, in neuroscience called PNE. So the patient can understand what pain is in order to get over that pain. Mm. So, what do you think of the biopsychosocial of pain? We're back in back in the. Are you, are you familiar with this? I'm not. No. Bio, biology, psycho, psychology, yeah. social, like relationship with the world. Um, there's the Laramir Mosley would be. He's someone I've done a podcast with. He's like one of the kind of preeminent thought leaders in that. Um, there's several other folks in that realm. But essentially, it's it's the way that it's it, pain not being just an acute, uh, like nociceptive thing. Uh, Hi, wait, uh, is he Australian? Yeah, he's your oh, guy. I know him. I he's know amazing. Him. You should have him on the podcast. He's I, great. Um, I bought one of his books. Oh, good. Um, and it was about understanding pain yeah. neuroscience. Um, I think it has like a homunculus. It on does. It, it has a homunculus. Right? It's, yeah. it's colored. Um, it's got a binder. Around All right, let's it. Be- yeah. get back down to brass tacks. What the heck's a homunculus? Yeah. What do we need to know about pain? <laughs> what do you think of Alarmir Mosley and the biopsychosocial pain? Yeah. Which, which, defining. I think I don't know. This might not be a great definition, but the way that our social structure and our psychology and perception affects our experience with pain because mm-hmm. a lot of pain isn't just oh i got a cut mm-hmm. you know when you get into like chronic pain or fibromyalgia places like that well that's what i was talking about it's that chronic pain where people need to understand what they're going through you mm-hmm. know you get people going back and forth like how, like what's the current population taking a prescription drug for a pain lot. Yeah. yeah, it's the same as an SSRI. Yeah. You know, it's just going up. They're and up suppressing and up. the feeling. Suppressing whatever it is. Uh, although, don't get me wrong, there is a place for an antidepressant, evidently. Um, but uh, I was, you know, I was even looking into the statistics of the U.S. population. I think it's around eight to ten percent now are taking s- prescription sleep medication because they can't mm. sleep. Yeah, they're having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep. So it's the same with pain, and there's like this this subspecialty now in neuroscience and neurology, which is there solely meant to explain to a patient what pain is. Because sometimes it turns out that this is why this field is, you know, now emerging. It turns out that sometimes patients aren't really having pain. It's because they've been telling themselves that they are in pain so much that they believe that they're in pain, that they believe their pain is real. And that's why when they self-medicate with prescription drugs, they say it doesn't work. Mm. Isn't that scary? Yeah. Yeah. That's like John Sarno's work. The, the mind over back pain guy. Mm. That's uh, he's, do you just spend your entire life reading? (laughs) (laughs) I've been doing the podcast for almost eight years. So I've spent like a lot, like when people ask me about movies and things, I'm like, I have no idea. Like music. I like music, but I don't like know the names of the people. When someone's like, do you know about this book? I'm like, before they say, I'm like, I think so. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I, I'm, I'm into authors and such, but the, yeah. And that, that's, that's the suggestion within the book is like, you read the book, you understand what this pain this chronic pain is and through your understanding of what it is you start to reinterpret that information you kind of lessen the signal a bit and suddenly your body's like oh this suddenly this input isn't so dangerous anymore 
Mm. Whereas before I thought it was dangerous. Yeah. So I amplified it. Yeah. Now I have this different perception of it. Yeah. That reduced the danger of greater understanding. Mm -hmm. And now suddenly it's like the whole system down down regulates and like, and I don't feel the pain as much. I'll be darned. You know, the pain was a 10 out of 10. Now it's a 6 out of 10. Yeah. And if I keep practicing this, it'll be a 2 out of 10. And then the other thing across the board um, that is the, the most effective for reducing pain, from my understanding, is is movement. Mm. Do you know much many, anything about this this realm of like ad- addressing pain through movement or, or just any, any techniques or practices or if someone... No, let's explore them together. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's, so that's something that uh, if a person is experiencing some type of shoulder pain or something like that, it's, you don't want to perpetuate the pain signal. So you want to kind of back out of the pain, but be going as close to it as possible and creating new safe terrain. So exploring new safe terrain with your nervous system through, through movement without actually repeating that pain signal okay so let's break it down person who has a cold shoulder a cold shoulder and by by, by, like they've got a frozen Frozen shoulder shoulder, whatever we want to call it yeah then i like culture that's so much nicer (laughs) i don't know why i I say cold shoulder um but basically that means what you're saying is a lot of people shy away from okay i'm not going to do a a movement involving the rotator cuff because i don't want to irritate that but what you're saying is move into it by doing little exercises oh yeah 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 you got to engage it there's there's there was there was research done i don't don't remember where this came from but i I, I bet you've heard of this they uh the researchers taped together uh, a monkey's two fingers Mm. and they could actually map that in the brain before in the homunculus you'd see like ah there's the index there's the middle yeah you tape those fingers together it becomes one finger in the brain yes Yes. You lose a finger. Yeah. Because you stop moving it. Yeah. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But, so this actually, so, th- so this is what happens to the brain. And I want everyone to really hear me strong with this. As you, so back to the homunculus. So there is a, there is a representation in your brain. So every single part of your brain, you know, is involved with something different in your body. You've got the prior, you've got the motor cortex, which sits kind of like where our earphones are. That's what it's, it's pretty much looks like the motor cortex and you've got different areas of your brain which are responsible for hand movement sensory movement kicking your leg everything okay as we age we stop doing certain things in life um and when we stop doing that you know things that um your that area of your brain is responsible for it starts to atrophy and through the process of neuroplasticity, which is an amazing thing, um, basically meaning that your brain can be rewired and, and due to different experiences and different actions. That's why they call the brain plastic. So if it keeps going down a certain path, back to the, the strapping of the fingers, your index finger and your middle finger, if you act as if this is one finger, it sends the signal to your brain that I'm just using this as one finger. And therefore, just like evolution, monkey into man, it develops a pattern of this is just one finger. Mm. So how do we, this is still running kind of a similar trend of back to the, the realm of pain and emotional pain and sensation. A lot of the emotional pain that we feel is, is habitual. You know, if you, you, if you were really to, to take an audit of, of one's thoughts throughout the day, you know, what do they say? It's like, 80 odd percent the same kind of consistent 
patterns. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been the same for the last three months. It's been mm-hmm. the same for the last six months. And it's like to start to realign the, some of the ruts that we've created, like stinking thinking, mm-hmm. uh, is very meaningful to actually have some leverage or have some autonomy and be able to take control of that. Is that anything that, is that something that we could be, how do you change a person's habits? It could be from a movement perspective as well. Cause that's what you do with people with the neuroathletics. You know, you, you might have like, what do you, what do you think about that? Habit, habit forming, habit changing, neuroplasticity. Mm. You have any thoughts on that? So, yeah, I, um, I look at everything, whatever habit you want to change, treat it as an addiction mm. and take into consideration dopamine, which is the molecule that's involved with motivation, goal setting drive. It's that thing that keeps pushing you forward. If you have a bad habit. Let's just say that you're on Instagram and you're just dopamine, you know, you're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and you are constantly just draining your dopamine system. You're just draining it. Go on a dopamine fast. And this is, uh, I learned this from Anna Lemke. She's a psychiatrist. She came on my podcast and she mentioned that in order to break a habit, primarily she was talking about addiction, okay? But let's just say that we're treating habits like addiction. Go on a fast from that habit. So if it is scrolling on TikTok, you've got to go cold turkey. Mm. And she she mentions that hers is uh, for a month. I say go cold turkey for two weeks yeah. on whatever habit that is. And be deliberate with whatever habit you want to replace it with. If it is, I want to become healthier or I want to go to the, make it a deliberate effort. A lot of people, what I'm finding is people are just waiting for life to just be handed to them. Mm. Like, oh, you're just going to magically walk into a healthy body. Mm. You're going to magically walk into great uh, a great physique or great health or whatever it is that you're looking for. I, I don't believe that anything in 2023 comes easy. It has to be deliberate. So if you want to have a, a better performing brain or a better performing body, it has to be a deliberate effort so if it is breaking that habit it has to it's going to be hard just know that uh go cold turkey for two weeks replace it with something and be deliberate about it every single morning set yourself a goal i will go out and walk and get sunshine for 20 minutes at 7 a.m every morning yeah just say two weeks that's it i also i wonder from from you how does a person start to integrate some of the concepts that you teach in neuroathletics neuroathletics with an s plural um, into one's daily life? Is there a way that a person could be developing their visual function or vestibular function mm. or coordination, hand-eye, like all of that stuff yeah. um, just through life? Or do you have to have like a training center? No, that's the beautiful thing about it. I, um, if I would say about in 2016, I read this incredible study. And this was pretty much, I wouldn't say the birth of neuroathletics. The birth of neuroathletics was around 2014. But in 2016, I read this beautiful study and it was um, it was printed in Nature and it was involved, it was a study that was done where they took a group of adults and they got them to juggle, which is why I got so excited to see that you could juggle today. And they gave them three balls and they got them juggling for 12 weeks And they also got them doing other things such as throwing the ball to the wall, just a tennis ball. And they were doing many things with 
it's called open skills and open training and open and closed skills training. And basically what they found was that they did MRI scans and showed that they grew the gray matter of their brain over that 12 week period. Mm. Where and in the brain? Oh, everywhere. It was the great, it was the, the whole thing the, just got, it, it was, yeah, they saw a Whoa. thicker lining, which just blew my mind because I was thinking, oh my gosh, I was already doing work and research into the vision, you know, into um, the visual system and seeing how that correlates to the brain. But when I saw that, what the hell, it's thicker, that really intrigued me. And so that was the birth of a lot of our drills, which, you know, people listening can go and watch on YouTube or on Instagram. Uh, Aaron and I did uh, some awesome drills today. Anyone can do them. You just need a set of neuro balls. Mm. Or yep. you can just get tennis balls. Um, and all you do is just practice throwing the ball to the wall. It sounds so simple, but some of the most beautiful things in life are the simplest things. Yeah. Some of the best inventions, multi-billion dollar invest, uh, inventions are the most simple inventions. Yeah. And like it's, also, clip. it's also only simple until you try to devise a robot to do it. And then you're like, oh, oh. this is complex. Yeah. Yeah. A person being able to have the articulation to be able to hold the ball and throw with the wrist and then process visually where is it at and then respond and mm. there's like it's like it's like a whole storm but happening within yeah, that that well, process. People think, well Louise, what can I achieve with just throwing the ball to the wall? Let me tell you, there is so much involved in that. You've got first and foremost, you've got gripping and cupping with your wrist. You've got reaction time. Okay, you've got stimulus. At the, uh, you, if everybody's listening to this, you've you've got the frontal lobe of your brain houses the prefrontal cortex, and if uh, the way I like to do it is, you put your hand just here and behind. And if everyone's you know not listening, if you're listening on audio, you just get your hand, you put it up on your forehead, just behind there lives your prefrontal cortex. It's the CEO of the brain. And this is where decision-making, information processing speed, reaction time, that's where that lives. And over time, it diminishes. You know, as we get older and as we, you know, lose, you know, as we stop doing things, it diminishes. But if you can practice this, that's your training, your prefrontal cortex. You're training your visual system. You need to know you've thrown the ball at a trajectory, let's just say, at a 45-degree angle, but it bounces and it's coming off 90 degrees. I don't know if uh, I got that right. But I, what I'm trying to say is it's coming off at a different angle. So you not only have to see it, you have to react to it. So you have to move in a different plane. Mm. You have to move maybe horizontally. You maybe have to live, move vertically. And you also have to cup it at the right angle. So there's so much involved in this most simplest task that has so many variations. Yeah. At NeuroAthletics, we've come up with over 500 variations, which is absolutely ludicrous, but we have. And that is the starting point. Let me tell you, I have worked with the world's best NBA players and player. I still do. And I get, before he goes on the court, I am doing these drills. People think that these, you know, these amazing players are doing something so crazy in the back room before they go onto the court. I know what they're doing because I've been there and I'm doing this with them. And I guarantee if you do it, you'll fire up your, your nervous system, central nervous system, peripheral nervous system. It's just such an amazing thing. 
want to take a moment and share about something that has truly made a massive difference in my life as of recent. That is going through the diagnostic process with LifeForce. LifeForce is a health optimization company that is bringing a personalized approach to help you take control of your health. It all starts with the LifeForce Diagnostic, a comprehensive blood test that measures over 40 biomarkers that impact your mental and physical health, from your nutrient levels to hormone balance to key risk factors for disease and much more. The LifeForce Diagnostic gave me a snapshot of precisely what the heck is happening inside of my body. Then the next step, I jumped on a call with a LifeForce functional medicine doctor and she was absolutely amazing. I asked her a whole gamut of questions and uh, it was probably a pretty annoying patient, I would say, because I just kept asking questions and she kept having answers. She was incredibly welcoming, incredibly sweet, and just really brilliant with the information. Um, so she mapped out a very clear, concise plan uh, for me. Uh, she was working with me. I think it, I just felt very supported the whole time. Uh, some of the things that we saw there was a deficit with me was particularly DHEA uh, and then also omegas. So they got me on a couple nutraceuticals and I swear to God, um, I since starting these guys, I feel um, almost uncomfortable saying it like this because it's an ad, but it truly made a massive difference. My word recall, my energy levels, my libido um, has has significantly shifted since starting. So I'm freaking excited and I would absolutely implore any of y'all to at least get the diagnostic done so you can get that snapshot of what's going on inside of your blood, what is going on inside of your biology so you're not guessing. You know exactly what's happening and then you can start making decisions from there. If you'd like to get 15% off, uh, you can go to mylifeforce.com. That's M-Y-L-I-F-E-F-O-R-C-E.com and then use Align code at checkout for 15% off and that is a very meaningful 15% off as well so I can't recommend it enough I think you guys are gonna really dig it I think it's gonna be really amazing for your own health journey jump over to mylifeforce.com and use the align code for 15% off I want to take a moment to share about something I believe every person ought to try at some point in their life to better their metabolic health and understand how different foods affect their blood sugar. I've been using Levels for the last month and a half or so, and it's been a game changer for me in understanding how my food affects my health. Levels helps you see how food affects your health by giving you real-time feedback on your diet using a continuous glucose monitor. Poor glucose control is associated with a number of chronic conditions, not just diabetes, but also Alzheimer's, heart disease, stroke, and more. It also affects your day-to-day -day energy levels, ability to control weight, and even sexual function. I started tracking my glucose in order to learn more about what I should and shouldn't be eating based on my own personal physiology. When I started as a Levels member, I thought I understood my metabolic health pretty well, but through the process of being able to continually monitor my blood glucose, I made some shifts in my diet, also the timing of when I was eating before training, after training, before bed, and it made a really big difference. Uh, right now, Levels is offering my listeners an additional two free months of the Levels membership when you use my link, which is levels.link slash align that's l-e-v-e-l-s dot link slash align your first purchase will include one month supply of continuous glucose monitors and a 12 month software membership and again if you go to levels dot link 
slash align levels is offering an additional two free months of their annual membership they also have a very well researched in-depth blog that i recommend checking out if you're just looking to learn more about topics like metabolic health longevity and nutrition how does a person develop greater neuroplasticity i know i know listening to huberman he's talked about making mistakes is quite meaningful you know, so if you're just doing the same repetitive action over and over again, you have nothing. You're like, oh, yeah, I know what's going to happen here. Yeah. There's not really much reason to change with that. I'd imagine the process of doing some of the exercises that you do with throwing balls and catching and all of that stuff. It's just it's littered with mistakes, mm. you know, and it's littered with novelty. So within that, I presume there would be an immense amount of neuroplastic potential yeah. by doing an activity like that compared to, say, like a bicep curl that you've done maybe 6000 reps of. Um, are there other ways and, and please elaborate on that, but like, how does a person start to, uh, leverage neuroplasticity for themselves? Yeah. Well, first of all, you have to understand what you're trying to achieve. Neuroplasticity works with everything after a repeated amount of times. If you do something wrong repeatedly, you're going to get used to that, that you're building neuroplasticity. So the first step is to really get the movement of whatever you're trying to do right mm. that's why i always say it's really important to work with a trainer someone who knows what they're doing don't just go into the weights room and do uh, a, a squat if you don't know how to do you it film yourself too you can film yourself make sure you've got that downplayed here's the second part that i think that people are misunderstanding as well learning which is part of the neuro neuroplasticity process learning takes place in two parts it's the actual movement or the actual action okay of learning and then it takes posture, It takes place during sleep. Mm -hmm. So you're getting the penetration of whatever you learn during sleep. That's why sleep is fundamentally the most underrated high performance tool that we have. Mm. So if you aren't sleeping and you're hoping to achieve whatever it is that you're trying to achieve through the process of neuroplasticity, then you're just kidding yourself. What are the mistakes people are making with sleep? Oh, number one is they're going to bed at the wrong time thinking that, well, Louisa, I'm an entrepreneur. I can get up. I don't have a boss. I can go to bed at one and I'll sleep until nine. I'm getting my eight hours. Eh, wrong. That's incorrect because we know now that we have a circadian rhythm, which is in line with a 24-hour clock. We all have that. So we know when the sun rises and the sun's setting. It turns out that there is a particular area in the brain, uh, Huberman's talked about this, which is involved in producing dopamine. And it turns out that if this area is has access to light, meaning that if your eyes are open between the hours of 10 p.m. and 4 a.m., it's going to suppress this little area in the brain that is responsible for producing dopamine. So therefore, if you go to bed, if you're watching TV, if you've got lights on, if you're looking at your, your phone screen at between the hours of 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. So let's just say you're up until 1 a.m. and you're looking at these lights, you're not going to get that dopamine release in the morning. And we all need that. Mm. So dopamine release in the morning, so you're like up and at them. So you're vigilant, you're excited, you can get up out of And so of then bed. you'll have addictive behavior throughout the day. Correct. Because you're, you're, you're trying to return yourself back to baseline. Yeah, and you won't have that dopamine release. So pretty much you're not giving yourself a head start you get up in the morning and you're already lost a bit. 
Mm. You're already not winning. What about a person that is getting up throughout the middle of the night? I, 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 you know, I think if a person has trouble falling asleep, it probably comes back more to like emotional stuff, or also just having crummy patterns. Maybe you ate a, bunch, a big meal before you went to bed, or maybe you exposed a bunch of blue light or agitation of, of whatever sort. Um, what if you're consistently getting up at 4 a.m. Mm. every morning? Which is actually not uncommon for men um, around the age of 70. Uh, most men tend to get up and, and, and look, a lot of women too have trouble sleeping as we get older. And here's the thing, you have to assess why you're getting up. Are you getting up because you're tired or uh, because you're, you just wake up and you just don't feel like you can sleep anymore and you've got insomnia? Are you getting up because you heard a loud noise or are you getting up to go to the toilet? So there's many different things that happens. But regardless, if you get up and you switch on a light, you've lost the game. Don't even think that you're going to go back to sleep. It's going to be extremely hard for you because your brain has then signaled, oh, I'm awake. I'm going to start the engines and it's ready to go. So that's that's the worst thing you can do. A lot of times what's happening is people are just running out of melatonin mm. and they're that's just what's jolting them out of bed. Melatonin is the naturally secreting hormone that – gets secreted in response to darkness and it puts us into sleep. And sometimes we sleep with the light, with the, uh, what do you call them? Curtains, the curtains open, light gets in, wakes us up. And yeah. we think, how did that happen? Is light going to be the main catalyst affecting the either upregulation or downregulation of melatonin? Yeah. Any factors in that? Oh, what about 100%. like taking exogenous melatonin or things no, of but, that sort? Yeah, uh, but also taking exogenous melatonin can deplete that system as well. Yeah, right. So, but light is probably the the biggest thing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder, in so day-to-day -day life, you are going through, uh, is there anything you can do at your home without like a tennis ball or, or something of the sort to be stimulating vestibular function, visual function, things of the sort, like doing visual saccades or going through like smooth pursuits or some of that stuff I think can be a little dorky in a way. Mm. You know, it's like like for a person, it's like, couldn't, could you hypothetically just go for a walk and look up in the trees? Yeah. You know, and change your, your use myopic vision, look up close, you know, use panoramic, take it out. Like, do we need to be so structured with that? Or is, is are we kind of structuring our lives to offset a a general um, deficit that we have in a modern lifestyle where we're not just taking a walk in the woods mm. enough. No, you, honestly, I'm really happy you brought that up. Nature is incredible. You can be walking outside and already you can get a massive uh, relief from depressive-like symptoms. Mm -hmm. We know mm -hmm. that through uh, forward emulation, you're walking outside, you're having um, – you're just you're telling your brain just when you're walking forward, it signals to your brain through forward ambulation that you are moving forward. Yeah, progress. Yeah, and that means I'm doing well because moving forward is correlated to I'm doing well and I'm progressing in life. But it's the same. So that's that's one aspect. But in terms of visual system, going out and seeing new things and you can make it interesting. Try and spot something blue. You just like keep looking around everywhere in a forest that's just full of green. Try and spot something red and you look around and you can end up finding something, but it's really hard, but you end up finding something. Or just try and notice the leaves and, and the patterns in the leaves and describe them. Try and look at things that you just never really intrinsically 
look at. Mm. What is that? The, 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 the reticular activating system. Oh, yeah. Yeah, is that kind of like that a little bit? If you're yeah, like you like look opposite. for things. Yeah, yeah, right. So it's like for dan- danger typically. Yeah, the RAS is basically saying to yourself, um, "It happens to me all the time." Uh, if I like, I am. We don't have many Teslas in Australia. Mm-hmm. What well, we do now, but you know, two years ago we didn't, but we did here. And I used to think, "Wow, I'm so excited about the Tesla. I want to see a Tesla." And then I would just see them everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, absolutely everywhere. Which is like the same thing with negativity. You'll see it. If that's what you really believe yeah. about the world, you'll see negativity in everyone. It's so amazing. That's yeah. like the the pictures of the the uh, vase or vase, depending upon how you say that, uh, and the two faces. Have you ever seen that before? There's various different pictures like that. Yeah. Where it's like, if you see two faces, you can't stop seeing two faces. It's yeah. just two faces. Yeah. The moment that you flip your perception to, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a white vase. Mm-hmm. Like, the faces are gone. Yeah. We're doing that all the time. All the time. 100%. Yeah. And so I think that that's like, like just coming back into awareness of um, having autonomy and power over our decision making, I think is just so invaluable. What, yeah. I, I, sorry to cut you off, but no, it good. just reminded me, I speak about Alzheimer's disease a lot. Mm. Currently 50 million people worldwide, worldwide suffer from Alzheimer's disease. And that number is said to triple by the year 2050. One thing that we don't speak about a lot is that Alzheimer's disease robs you of many things, but the one thing it robs you of is your mind in terms of being able to decide mm. that that is diminished. Being able to remember, being able to just sit down and have, you know, memory. Imagine feeling like you sat down, you're having a conversation and somebody says, but we just had this conversation. Like you just, you, it's robbing you of your identity, of who you are. Mm. That's why these practices are so important. You have to deliberately practice in your 30s and in your 40s and in your 50s. Just because you're in your 30s, this is when these disease states start. Yep. They start to accumulate. You don't get the symptoms until your 60s. So starting to incorporate uh, patterns into your life that is training decision-making, that's training processing speed, that's training memory. You and I did those today. Mm. You were training everything. We even did uh, word fluency. We did addition and subtraction. I don't think we did subtraction, but I know we did addition. So you're taking numerical ordering into play. Like we were doing things that you you didn't do. Yeah, there's there's some research from the Albert Einstein School, College of Medicine, College of Medicine and they, they, you've probably heard of this as, as well. The they <clears throat> of all of the different practices or modalities that they went through to prevent cognitive decline, they found in that research, I, I believe, dance to be yeah. the longest lever for it. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, you're doing all the neuroathletic stuff. You're going through all the coordination. I think there's also something to coordinating yourself with movement, which I'd imagine you probably use sound as well. You'd, ha- yeah, you'd probably have to, sound, yeah, yeah, we didn't do sound today, but I imagine you do that. Uh, but then the other element of that is it's- We do taste as well. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's great. Uh, but the other element of that is the emotional component. Because if you're dancing, especially if you're dancing with someone else or if you're dancing alone, but people might be watching, how did, how does the emotional element affect neurology? Because a lot of the, the research, and you might just not have a response for this because a lot of the research would be in a pretty like sterile environment, I'd imagine. How do you feel like life infuses into one's neurology and, and, and like the difference between dancing with a partner 
compared to doing some standing on one foot and you know throwing tennis balls up against a wall i actually don't have a, an answer for that mm. um what do you think <laughs> what do i think uh, i mean do you know as in like can your brain respond to dancing does it respond respond to dancing the emotional component particularly like because there's not a lot of um, emotional investment in a situation where i mean it might be maybe you don't want to fail or something yeah um but particularly the the emotional component of uh people are, are watching me uh like it's it's raising a certain level of like stress mm. in the body or or try or maybe it's like love connection with a partner mm. you know so there's like this intimacy that's happening so you're so it's like cool we have our five senses you know we're seeing we're smelling we're tasting that sensation of, of connection with a person like intimacy that you could feel with a person in tandem with mm. an exercise mm. you know or dance i don't know you don't need to have a response for it. it's no, just an interesting it thing it actually reminds me that your you get a greater ability to learn a task when there's more of emotion involved. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only thing I have to add to that. That's a huge thing. Um, <laughs> you just <laughs> keep, you. this guy just keeps going with the emotions. My community is probably thinking, what? She doesn't talk about emotions. <laughs> not yet. How do you feel about it? Are you like, do you feel like, oh, people aren't going to like this emotional stuff? Or do you feel like, how do no, you No, I think that every time I put out something emotional, people are like, they, I, you know, people love it. We should cry. And, oh, no, people are like, oh, well, she's not a robot. <laughs> <laughs> she has emotions. Why do you think, why do you think that people have perceived you that way? Or you have perhaps like, like, why do you think that is? I, um, I'm trying my best with my brand to give uh, everybody what they want. They don't, I don't believe that everyone's here because they're interested in Louisa. Cause I got to tell you, I'm not, I'm, not very exciting. I just do monotonous things all day. So I don't think you're here thinking, I want to see what she's up to. Like, what's she wearing? To? I never wear – fashion's definitely not my thing. So they're definitely not following me for fashion or um, or my makeup or uh, anything like that, or my hair, for God's sake. So they're here for one purpose, and that is uh, to understand how to have a better performing brain. Um, so I mm. don't think that people really care too much about how I'm feeling even though I'm feeling great. Really? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Get the heck out. People don't care about how you're feeling. I mean, like, I if people I follow your like, stuff and they're listening oh, to your yeah, stuff, I, my, my, my guess is probably people would be like, oh, like I, I, I'd imagine it would probably close in, is close in a word? Yeah, I guess so. Close in? <laughs> I think it would make Close in the fact, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But no, but what I mean is you see now on social media, like I'm following people and sometimes I think, why am I following you? I don't care about your, like what your puppy is doing. Yeah. Um, and then I think I'm not going to go and put up, you know, I, I did give a glimpse into my, uh, into my, my life. I went overseas to, uh, to Europe in September it was my best friend's wedding and, and, you know, I was MC and so I did two weeks of just no brain content, just this is my life. Family, I showed everything. I lost like 2,000 followers because mm. people are like, this this girl's overseas, she's partying, she's having fun in Greece. I, I don't like, I don't, why am I following her? I'm following could've her for a, brain content. Could have been a coincidence as well. <laughs> you know, things happen, algorithms change. I want to ask another question. I do know about, a lot of those people were vegans because I did put up um, aha, a that was the it. spit. It was that, the vegans. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I don't talk about, uh, the only way I talk about meat is in, in supporting regenerative farming, which I think is very important. Do you eat meat? 
Oh yeah. Okay, so you're not a vegan. I'm like pretty animal based. Yeah. Yeah, and that, which I wouldn't have. That was definitely a shift. I've kind of followed the, the trend a little bit, but I'm definitely not like I, I. I pretty much eat like a big salad every day, and in that salad, I usually put like a pound of meat, typically okay. with some yeah. organs in it as well, oh, and wow. then a bunch of different veggies and whatnot. That I is, get like an organ blend. Okay. Yeah, it's good. Like liver. Like all stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. yeah. Yeah. I also take some organ supplements. Um, but a question I have as well around emotional health slash cognitive health wow, slash long, longevity uh, is what about orientation of eyes uh, is because mm. your eyes are continuous to central nervous system and neurological tissue and you're going looking up that has an effect when you're looking down that has an effect EMDR therapy that comes as a product of going for a walk outside yeah. I don't remember the woman's name that founded it but the idea came from like wow when I'm taking a walk outside and I'm scanning the horizon it seems like it's like processing something mm. Um, emotional traumas yeah like it, yeah. Go, it goes in it there goes in, which that, is why the what is that thing called that just keeps going back the lights oh i don't know oh. pendulum no no it's an actual oh i've never done e it before okay, i've yeah. just heard about I mean, it. it it is emdr yeah, EMDR. yeah, yeah. oh yeah 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 like that's yeah light, that's the yeah. thing i just don't know what, like the light box or okay, whatever yeah. it's called yeah so is there anything from your your understanding of of neuroscience um effects of orientation and position of the eyes such as looking up being supportive for like energy and creativity looking down kind of sending the signal that it's time to rest or you know looking up diagonally i know that there's there's some stuff around um i think in neurolinguistic programming they have a uh, if you look up to the right you're lying uh, looking up to the right, yeah, I think it's. I think it's generally just if you're looking up, it's like creative thinking, yeah. and if you're looking down, you're like you're processing implicit information. Yeah, correct. Yeah. What do you think about all that? No, I I am uh, in complete agreement with that, and here's why. Uh, one of the aspects of what we do is visual acuity testing, and we take in twenty different metrics within that when we train our athletes. So we use an EEG and hospital grade EEG to assess visual acuity. So we are assessing the speed at which your eye sees a stimulus, and then we're, we're testing the optic nerve. The optic nerve is the nerve that, it's a cranial nerve, and it's a nerve that connects your eye pretty much to your brain. And that's how you, we process information, obviously it goes through to the occipital cortex, comes back to the prefrontal cortex, and it makes a decision on what that stimulus is. We're testing the rate of that. And what I have found, it's uh, tested and you get a P100 score. What I've found is that we can use that measurement and then we can train different, we can train the brain, okay, for that speed to get faster. And the way we train it is through different diagonal position so you can be getting an athlete what we can do is we can block his left eye completely block it out let's just say you've got an eye patch over your eye and just test him in going into all different planes you of his eye all different planes literally in a three 360 degree motion and you can strengthen different parts of your brain just by doing that mm. do you know anything about the uh, myopia i don't know if you call it epidemic a lot of people are myopic these yeah, days they are one of the, one of the things that's interesting with that especially in their thinking yeah well and then that's and that's once again it's like your eyes are your brain yeah you know and the, and and when we're perceiving fear you know our our, our pupils adjust for that when we're relaxed our pupils adjust when we're, we the the when we're in myopic focused that's going to be more 
executive function, like get stuff done when mm. we're, when we tap into zooming out, really relax the ciliary mm. muscles and, you know, accommodate to go into this, taking the whole scene in that's going to send a signal to the autonomic nervous system. That's like, cool. Louisa must be chilling. Mm. She's taking in the whole scene. Um, the, Oh, I had a question. I got all excited about talking about, uh, all the, the different directions of what the eyes do. Is there any other stuff that we can do to tap into the way that we feel with, with our visual muscles from your, your perception? In term, oh, I mean, I wouldn't know about how you feel, but um, if anybody's looking at training, you know, their visual system at home as well, I know you're asking about what can we do in nature. And apart from the ball skills, you can, there's a wonderful, you know, simple exercise where you Put a print out a, a photo of a circle, okay. Print it out from your computer, stick it on the wall, and then print out other circles, and it's a bit smaller, and put them in different areas around that. And you can just go from the big circle and go down and just trait like with your eye follow it go to the little circle and then come back up to the big circle go to the little circle come back up to the big circle and keep doing that in different planes, and you'll train the different. Uh, projections of your eye and the different angles that was a question I, I had was was well not not that exactly but it, it came to me the epidemic if it, if if we could call it that of myopia people becoming nearsighted uh one suggestion within that that's what i suggesting the ciliary muscles don't the contraction all that stuff um to focus your vision in that's actually a muscular contraction yeah right you're changing the shape yeah. of the, the lens to refract that light and then when you're relaxing into panoramic vision yeah mm -hmm. you're going in and you're, you're relaxing the eyes essentially um another part of that that i've read about that i don't know a lot about is exposure of sunlight to the eyes mm. being supportive for actually changing the shape of the eyes. Mm -hmm. Do you know, do you have any thoughts around why people are becoming myopic at pretty staggering rates? Well, that's pretty much because, uh, what we've seen is that to get these effects, you know, in terms of like to, if we're going into more of a myopic state, right? That means that we're going backwards. Okay. So atrophy not too much atrophy but they we're not getting access to sunlight to the amount that we need and the amount that we need is around three hours per day now i put this out there it's really funny that you said this i put this out there on twitter saying that uh, about you know the epidemic of um, myopia and sunlight and i got a lot of backlash from people saying louisa how dare you i work I'm working on Wall Street. There's no way mm. I can get three hours of sunlight per day. But I think that that's the reason why we are narrowing our vision, mm. staring too much at a screen instead of staring outside and going outside and looking at everything around us to get our benefit and to get our pleasure and to get our dopamine. We're finding it on this tiny little screen. We're looking at the television and then we're also at work just staring at a screen. Yeah. as well yeah uh when we're with our partners our spouses we're staring at a screen we're not going out and doing things such as hiking so that's a it's no wonder that this is happening yeah it's such a wild thing when you think your eyes are literally your brain peeking out of your head yeah and you have the effect to in a way massage your brain just by going through these various different forms of visual accommodation, which mm. means like changing the, 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 the lens to, to, to affect the, the way the light hits, um, you can literally 
be going through movement patterns like you're you're moving the brain itself that's that's like an odd concept i think we think of the brain as being something that's that's like it's it's inside this it's vacuum in, yeah. it's inside this this container yeah. um and so to be able to to affect our cognitive function in fact maybe like mental clarity um affect creativity you know so if you are continually staring into a screen throughout the day i don't know enough about any data on that i know i've read lots of things around it i don't have anything to, to say about it right now but it just intuitively makes sense to me that that would have massive implications well i think we need to look at it as if like what are the negative effects of myopia mm. on an emotional standpoint and i i don't know that yeah. but i think that that's a, a really interesting area yeah. to explore. And, and a person like a lot of the people and we can wrap up soon a lot of the the people you know most creative people in the world they get their ideas from taking a walk outside mm. you know every morning i go for a walk it's my thing if i'm, I'm walking to the gym that's my walk uh, i live in new york so <laughs> Walking to the gym is um, is quite a lengthy thing, but um, I walk to the gym, or um, I just go for my morning walk. And for some reason, my, I get all of my creative thinking done. I'm like, oh, that's mm -hmm. amazing! And as soon as I get to my desk, I get straight to my desk in my office, and I forget everything. I'm like, what did I just think of? Mm. And I think to myself, is it because I've had blood flow to the brain? Because it happens when I'm at the gym as well. I get excited. I think, oh my God, this is just BDNF. This is blood flow. This is nutrients, oxygen to my brain. That's why I'm thinking this way. But it's not. There's, I, I experience something different. I experience more creativity during a walk than what I do going to the gym. We think like, what does the brain do? The brain um, receives information, processes information, and then creates an output. Yeah. So- while it's meaning yeah yeah and so well if you're you think of like what your skin and your connective tissue and your your fascia and your organs and all of the different parts you know how many sensory receptors are interlaced throughout the rest of the system so if you are upregulating the amount of information to process in the form of varied textures, varied temperatures. It's really hot outside. Maybe now you're sweating. Um, maybe you are, it's, it's novelty of the environment. There's a dog walking by, there's cars compared to the complete lack of stimuli mm. sitting in the same dang room that you've been every day, five days a week or whatever, for however yeah. long with the same, you know, lights that are, they're going through, you know, it's alternating current. So it's like flipping quite fast, yeah. you know, which is a little like irritating yeah. compared to that direct current that you're getting from the sun. It's like this soothing sensation. Um, you know, it's just, but it's, it's, we're, we're in very sterile environments that mm. lack stimuli. Mm. And so it would, it would only make sense that if you upregulate the amount of stimuli coming through your processing system that you call a brain in the form of just like going for a walk outside, mm. I mean, it just it, it just makes sense. It would, and if you even cause some more better, sparks to fly. You want to do <laughs> you know? if you even want to get even better. You're doing your own athletics training. I'm I'm with that. Yeah. Um, awesome. Is there anything else we should touch on before wrapping, the, wrapping this piece up? On absolutely everything. What cool. I'm happy that we didn't touch on is nutrition. So that's good. I don't talk about nutrition. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not into it. It's I'm too not, dogmatic. People, I've been talking people, about people it quite often, out. and I, I don't, I don't know why. I've just gone into that field um, and, and been interviewing a lot of guests uh, as it relates to brain health. And I'm telling you, uh, Instagram ain't liking it. Mm. It's just too controversial. Um, so I'm glad we didn't touch. Controversy's on that. good, but I just, I just feel like, like I've, I've done podcasts with 
the the world leading experts in the vegan world and in the carnivore world and in the keto world and in like every uh, nutritional ideology mm. at this point and they all have their data yeah they all have their doctors yeah they all have their empirically empirically reviewed you know it's like it's like they've all got it mm. and they're all diametrically opposed to each other you know so for me i've personally now i guess we're talking about nutrition i'm not going to you know go much beyond this i'm telling you why i don't talk about nutrition too much mm. for me i think it's just it's so important for a person to like trust their own body and also seek out professionals that look like they're doing a good job like find a body that's like cool that's a that's a body that's I a want. good looking body yeah what the heck are you eating yeah let's just talk let's look i get you coffee yeah. so i'll talk to you for five minutes yeah what did you eat yesterday yeah okay cool drop that down i'll try that i yeah. feel like that's more where i trend compared to all of like the quote-unquote experts that uh you know it's just tough and food obviously moves in trends mm. It's like the Atkins trend and it's carnivore now. Yeah. You know, then it's like, you know, it's, I don't know what it is. It's definitely not carnivore. I don't know. Who knows where it's going to go. It's in everything. But um, where can everyone find you? Well, this will also get on the, go out in the line podcast. Um, but people listening, obviously listen to, to podcasts. So that's I've been doing that for, it was started at almost eight years ago. I've done about 440 odd episodes. Wow. Um, so people can check out the Gabor Mate mm. episode. That'd be a good starting point. That was just a few weeks ago. Um, I have a book called The Aligned Method. Yes. Uh, if people are interested in more um, utility around uh, movement practices. So how do we start to make it so that your whole entire day becomes an opportunity to move better, which ultimately translates to thinking better as well. Um, and that's it. Everything's at Align Podcast on social media. That's amazing. Yeah. And what about what about yourself? Uh, the Neuro Experience Podcast, which this will go out on. Uh, you can find me on social media at Louisa Nicola. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is fun. Thank you. I appreciate this. Yeah. Um, that is it. That is all. Thank you for tuning in. Over now. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I want to thank you guys for leaving us reviews on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to this. I'm going to read a review from Zoe Varal. Uh, Zoe says, very stimulating and enjoyable. Aaron is a very skilled facilitator of conversation, and the guests are information rich. Thank you so much for that, Zoe. Uh, thanks, guys, for subscribing to this so you get each week's episodes. Thank you for sharing. If you're inclined, you can tag myself at Align Podcast, and you can also tag Louisa at Louisa Nicola on the gram or wherever you do your social Socia? Social meeting. Uh, Socia meeting. That didn't come out right. Uh, thank you guys. Big hugs. I'll see you next week.